What is up, everybody? Mark on the mic here, Mr. Bill Kribnik to my right, and across from us, one of the coyote killingest folks I've ever had the pleasure of knowing in my life, Mr. Dustin Butler. We've got him on the podcast again. Dustin, welcome. Thanks, guys. How are you? We're doing good. good. We're doing good. So the, the topic of today's conversation, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see I've got a lanyard full of calls, and it's the importance of hand calls for coyotes. Now, Dustin, I know uh, you're like also, you know, you're one of the most coyote killing us folks I know. You're also one of the most humble folks I know. You don't like to, in fact, you're like, oh, you brought me out of retirement, you know, and this and that. And even when we talked the last time, you're like, yeah, I just don't do it as much anymore. I killed like 40 last week. I'm like, okay, well, I think you're still doing okay. <laughs> yeah. So, but uh, let's, uh, let's talk hand calls. I know you work them into your, your calling repertoire, but you know, why, why, why should a person carry some hand calls with them? You know, it's a good question. Uh, you know, and I know Mark, you kind of outlined a few, a few bullets and things that you wanted to talk about. You know, I guess there's really a number of reasons we can attack it in any order that you want. You know, I think for guys getting started in the sport, hand calls are inexpensive. It's a great way for them to get started and get rolling and see if this is a, you know, something that they're passionate about. But I also feel like, you know, from my perspective, the electronic calls have come so far now from where they started, you know, 20 plus years ago. Uh, as far as the quality and the sound libraries and the ways that you can use them. But, you know, there's, there's still kind of a pure form of the sport, in my opinion. And that's probably, you know, the, the hand calls, the mouth blown calls. I think there's still a level of satisfaction that comes from, you know, learning them and mastering them and, and uh, you know, tricking coyotes to come to the, to the, the mouth blown calls or the hand calls. For sure. For sure. And like you said, I mean, definitely e-callers, have come a long way. I know Bill and I both brought our lanyards here and we both have e-callers that we bring with us, but we also both bring mouth calls. But I mean, heck, you even look at those. It's like, I remember like the old Johnny Walker, you know, cassette tape ones that you'd see, you know, and then, you know, now it's just like these digital sounds and remotes. And so, but it's still, it's still as much as I love that tech and use that tech and leverage it, I, it doesn't necessarily replace the need for a handful a handful of mouth calls. And one, one of the things that I like the most, Dustin, maybe you can speak to this, is just the quick access nature of it. Like you might be, sometimes you just need to get to call quick. Now, yep. Yeah, you know, and you, Mark, you and I have been on hunts together where, uh, you know, we weren't necessarily pursuing coyotes, but happened to have a hand call in the backpack and found opportunities to use them to call coyotes, right? Kill coyotes. And uh, it's nice to have them in your pack or in your, you know, your bino harness all year long. And you know, you certainly can find some opportunities to use them when you're elk hunting or deer hunting or bear hunting or, or doing other things. So having quick access to them is definitely a benefit. For sure. You know, I mean, actually on that hunt that you're talking about, we were hunting bears. We spotted a coyote way across the valley on a different road system. And we were able to call that that coyote in. But then later in the week, we actually made a, a stalk on a bear that was gone when we got there, got the old hand call out and called him out of the brush and got a crack at him. So that's right. Uh, like, mm-hmm. like you said, then of course now we're talking bears and of course it's getting close <laughs> to spring now. So it's hard for me not to be thinking about bears, but I, um, I seem to recall we were both pretty excited about blowing a predator call in grizzly country. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm not saying it was the smartest move we've ever made, but uh, l- luckily only the black bear came out to take a peek, but you know, and you do a heck of a lot more than this than I do, but one thing that I like, Dustin, is like being able to like kind of customize the sound or impart your own emotion to like even a distress sound. 
I'd imagine is that that's something you're doing as well. Yeah, and I think honestly, that's one of the one of the advantages that hand goals give a guy, right? Is uh, uh, you know something that's unique that those coyotes haven't heard before. You know, I've found that late in the season, mixing it up and going back to the hand calls or in areas that are even heavily pressured, you know, something that's just a little bit different, a little bit unique, kind of has your own flavor to it, uh, seems to do the trick. And you know, we've had some days where the electronics aren't working and we just, you know, we just say, Hey, we're going to run and gun and throw the, throw the hand calls in our pocket and take off and go and, you know, mix it up from time to time. And, and it seems to work. What about like closed read versus open read? What are you doing there? You know, that's a great question. Um, you know, the closed read calls are, are pretty foolproof, right? If you're new, you don't have a lot of experience. It, it's pretty easy to mimic a, a jackrabbit or a, a cottontail with a closed read call. Uh, they're very easy to blow. You know, it's also pretty easy to do some fawn bleats and some other sounds with those, but they don't have the versatility of the open read calls. The closed read calls, if you're, you know, calling up north where we live, uh, you better have two or three of them and you leave one on the dashboard of the truck thawing out or you get really familiar with popping reeds out and thawing them and putting them back in. They're, they're prone to freeze up on you in really cold temperatures. But, you know, the open read call gives you a lot of versatility. You know, you can do everything from your coyote vocals to, you know, your distress sounds from, you know, rabbit to fawn bleat to pup distress. And like I say, all your coyote vocalizations. So if I had to choose one or the other, I would take the open read call just because you can do so much more with it. Um, but, you know, both both work well and both have their place. Yeah. What do, what do you, uh, I mean, you mentioned, you know, distress sounds and coyote vocalizations. What kind of vocals are you making on the, on the coyote side? You know, it really just depends on the time of year, you know, and, and I think one of the benefits of, of guys learning how to use, you know, hand calls, you know, and whether it's hand calls or electronics, really understanding the coyote language, understanding what their annual cycle looks like as far as you know, when they're breeding, when they're denning, when the pups are leaving the den, you know, early in the year, uh, distress calls. And when I say early in the year, I'm talking early October through November, you know, you can pretty much blow a distress call and have, have pretty good success. But after those coyotes have been pressured, you get into late December, into January and February, really, if you're going to be consistent, you got to start using those coyote vocalizations. And that can be anything from a, you know, you can never go wrong with an interrogation howl. Uh, I always, uh, I always try to sound more submissive and more friendly, you know, unless you are in a PAX territory or you get a big old male kind of challenging you or giving you the dickens, right? Then, you know, you kind of challenge it back or be more aggressive. But I think the same is true with, with elk or anything else, right? I, I don't personally try to sound like a 400 bull when I bugle. You know, you kind of want to sound like a younger, more submissive, you know, bull. Same thing with coyotes. But I think learning your interrogation howls, your pup distress is, is key. You know, I've been asked if you could only pick one sound to use all year long, what would it be? For me, it would be pup distress. It, it works all year long, right? You get a protective instinct, you get curiosity, you get dominance, you get a number of, of things that you kind of set off in those coyotes. But, uh, you know, and then you get more into it. You know, if you get into the breeding season, uh, you know, a male howl and a female howl, mixing it up so you sound like a pair of coyotes. Um, you know, learning that, uh, uh, you know, female in heat howl. And, and, you know, you can listen to a lot of those sounds online, you know, you can listen to one electronic caller and then certainly work on them with the, with the mouth blown call. But uh, I think understanding the kind of the coyote cycle throughout the year is a key for knowing what sounds to use and when. For sure. It, for sure. It's interesting that you said the, the pup distress, like 
on Saturday, quite literally, the only thing I could get coyotes to come out of the wood line with was pup screams. Nothing else was working. That was the only thing that I could actually get them to come out in the open somewhat and present, you know, somewhat of a shot. So and it's kind of interesting. This time of year, there's really not that many pups around. They're 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 having those pups in June, July, usually I think, or even earlier than that too. So yeah, like you said, it's just yeah, May a lot, May a lot of times, right? You know, yeah. June, July, August, they're typically hanging out around the den, but uh, you know, early fall when those pups are dispersing and leaving, but you know, there's, there's something about that pup distress call all year long, or, you know, a coyote distress in general, where, you know, it, it, if they think you're in their territory or they think there's a coyote fight over there, there's a, there's a curiosity factor. But I think in those, you know, older male and female coyotes, there's just a, a natural reaction to, you know, wanting to go protect whatever is happening to that pup. It's, it's kind of like when we're in the grocery store and you hear a a baby crying or yelling and you're hoping, man, I hope that's not my kid, but <laughs> I'm going to double check just to be sure. Right. Sure. It's uh, it, 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 it's, a, it's something that's good to have in your repertoire. Yeah. Are you ever doing a mix of, of hand calling and e-calling at the same time or, you know, switching on and off between the two on a, on a single set? Yeah. You, you know, uh, we started doing that years and years ago and called it, you know, combination calling and uh when, when we were hunting or when we flooded areas that are really highly pressured and you're just trying to be creative and come up with some things that maybe those coyotes haven't heard, or you're trying to add some believability, you know, howling with a partner back and forth, right? We've had great success with that. But, but what I have found too is with the e-caller, I personally use a lot of bird sounds, right? Crows and magpies and things of that nature, you know, and so I've had pretty good success with bird sounds playing on an e-caller while you're while you're playing a distress sound, right, with your with your mouth one call, or a coyote fight on your e caller while you're you know running distress on your your mouth one call, kind of kind of gives some variation to what those coyotes are hearing. I I love that. Covered, uh, you know, I guess, and I guess so. The primary distress sound that I've ever really used with my hand calls is just you know I, I guess I'd call it like a variation of of a, of a rabbit squeal. I have used some fawn distress, called a baron one time with a fawn distress. That was back in my Washington days. And uh, yeah, but what what about you, Dustin? When you are using a distress sound, is that, are you just using that typical rabbit? You got any other tricks up your sleeve? You know, I think, I think the rabbit's probably the most common for just about everybody out there, right? And, you know, you can, you can use, you know, different tones, obviously different, you know, calls for a deeper raspier jackrabbit sound versus a higher pitch cocktail. I've played with some, you know, bird distress woodpecker type sounds on a, on a mouth blown call. And, and those seem to work pretty good. I personally believe that coyotes are opportunists. And I think that, you know, there's the 10% of the time where there's a specific sound that's going to trigger them or break them loose, or maybe they're hanging up and they don't want to come. But, you know, we spend a lot of time scouting and trying to find the low hanging fruit, especially when you're trying to put up big numbers in contests and things like that. Right. And, and, it's not unusual to find areas with really high coyote densities that are heavily pressured. And then you might find some areas that maybe the coyotes aren't quite as thick, but they're running over the top of you. Um, and, and I'll be honest, I think guys get a little bit too hung up on exactly what the, that distress sound is. And I think coyotes are opportunists. I think in most cases, if they're going to come, they're going to come. That being said, you know, as you get later in the year into January and February, I, I tend to stay away from the rabbit, you know, more coyote vocals. And if I am going to use distress sounds, you know, use something that's a little bit unique or different, which the open read calls really give that to you. 
Gotcha. What about, uh, I don't anymore. I used to keep a little squeaker, you know, taped to the fore end of my gun or something like that. If I really wanted to last minute, if I didn't want to, you know, have the motion. Heck, that was back when all I had was hand calls, you know? <laughs> sure. But um, do you do anything like that with a little squeaker bulb or anything like yeah, uh, I've, I've carried a I've carried a coaxer for for years, and and I think they definitely have their place. I mean, we we've had days where the coyote densities are such that we're not walking very far between sets, and and starting with a coaxer, and then a, just a really really soft you know mouth blown call. I've played with coaxers over the years, you know, with with coyotes out mousing in the field, and you know sneak up and set up, and just kind of want to see how well they hear. You know, and I, I've seen coyotes five, 600 yards away, lift their heads up to nothing more than a coaxer and just come bomb into the call. And, uh, you know, I think, I think guys err on the side of using too much volume in a lot of cases, you know, and there's windy days and there's different types of terrain that you're calling where you really want to blast the sound out there, but it really boils down to the coyote density and, you know, the, the conditions and the terrain you're in, but, you know, they have incredible hearing coaxers work very well. We've used coaxers for years as a way to let, you know, your partner know that there's a coyote coming, right? You know, just hit the squeaker a little bit. And I think the coaxer is also a key when you're trying to bring, you know, coyotes into shotgun range, right? If, if we're contest calling and, you know, one guy's packing a, a shotgun and another guy's on the rifle, you know, when those coyotes are coming hard, if you can just stay on that coaxer a little bit and keep them coming hard to the call, it, it's a really good way to get coyotes right to the shotgun for, you know, for some close in shooting. So we, we do use a coaxer and I think, it definitely has its place. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I'm convinced. Yeah, I need to get one of those. I need to try that. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you, you brought up you brought up volume. Like, what with with a hand call? Do you, in general, or or maybe it's the answer is it depends. But are you generally start starting off softer and then kind of gradually up in the volume, or what? What's your program there? Yeah, typically. I mean, you know, typically, you know, start soft and and work up to, you know, full volume by mid set and work your way back off, whatever, whatever full volume is going to be, you know, but I think for, you know, for years and years, there was this rule of thumb, right? Like I'm going to travel a mile between stands and I'm going to use call a, then B, then C, and I'm going to do it this volume level. I think that's great. I think it's good for everyone to have kind of a general rule of thumb, but I I really think it boils down to, uh, I keep going back to coyote density. You know, if you're in an area that's, you know, got a lot of coyotes per square mile and, and you're only setting up once every mile, you know, you're you're driving past or walking past a lot of coyotes. And so, you know, if we've done our scouting and we know there's a high density of coyotes, we might, you know, just take a hand call, a real soft hand call and, you know, call for five to 10 minutes and walk 300 yards and do it again. We've hmm. had, you know, we've had some days where we put up a lot of numbers doing that. So a lot of it is the density of coyotes in the area, the train you're calling, how hard the wind is blowing. You know, if, if I've got a piece of public land I'm calling from and I know I can't make a set for five more miles, I'm probably going to work up to full volume, give it an extra 10 or 15 minutes on that stand and see what shows up. And I think even with your mouth blown calls, right, there's there's some that are more quiet than than others, right? So, you know, I've, I've used... Uh, mouthpiece from like the Dan Thompson howlers for really windy days when you're having a hard time getting that distress sound out there. Um, and I, I probably wouldn't do that if it was, you know, a quiet, calm day, but, but there's just a lot of variables that play into, to, to the volume and, and kind of how you approach those sets. For sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. Bill, anything, anything on your mind or I've been talking the whole time. Uh, diaphragm calls it. What are your, uh, 
feeling towards those. I think they're kind of one of the more difficult ones to learn, at least that they have been for me. You know, close read, open read, you know, I got those pretty quick. But uh, I got banned from practicing diaphragm calls in the house from the wife because apparently it was just too terrible of a noise. But, uh, yeah, where do you think those fit in? And You're and, probably making yeah. a great oh, call. Your wife, yeah. <laughs> your wife and my wife could sit down for a bottle of wine and yeah. talk about the, how annoying the practicing of calls is in the yeah. house or in the garage while the neighbor's dogs are barking and howling <laughs> But, uh, you know, um, I'm not, uh, personally, I don't use the diaphragm calls a whole lot. I've played with them a little bit. You know, I think, uh, I think they, they are really good for like pup distress. You know, you get multiples in, you got something right in your mouth to start doing Kai or pup distress for things like that. Um, I personally, you know, I just sound better on an open read call for my howling for my vocals things like that sure. um but uh that's the one place where i think they work pretty well is is having it in your mouth for you know like a kayak or a pup distress after a shot but uh they're they're not my uh they're, there's a lot of guys with they're a lot better with diaphragm calls than i am <laughs> I, I think all of them probably are <laughs> they do take a lot of practice i've found it's it's been a lot of drives to work blowing on that thing trying to get it to sound somewhat like a coyote but i'm getting there i hope so I think it's, I think it's worked a time or two. Yeah. Yeah. What about the, and this, this is definitely a question, but do you find, you know, you can obviously, you can very quickly, you know, customize the sound on, on a distress or, or an open read call. Do you feel that affords you more flexibility when you're reading a dog that you know is coming, but maybe he's, or she is, you know, acting a certain way or has a certain demeanor? As far as being able to mix it up on that, on that call, being able to like, be like, Oh, this, this, you know, maybe I'm making this up, but Oh, this, this dog's acting like really, really submissive or this call that, you know, yeah, yeah, I can tell this dog is coming, but like it's stopping a lot and like very cautious or something like that. Is that where you ramp it up or change it or switch to something else or, you know, it's just kind of a case by case basis, I guess. And it, it, it's just like you said, Mark, it's kind of reading their body language, right? What they're responding to, what they're not responding to. And and they don't all, they don't all come to the call the same way. Right. Um, I think with your, you know, your younger coyotes, a lot of times, especially if you're doing vocals, they will come more slowly, right? They're, they're a little more skittish and, and they're probably not going to come to the shotgun like a, you know, a big, big adult coyote would. Um, in the right circumstances. So I definitely think you've got to be versatile, you know, and, and you've got to learn to read those coyotes body language. And, you know, um, I don't care how long you've done it. There's still those days where you're just like, man, I'm not sure what this thing wants to hear to, to come any closer. And I, I better take the opportunity that he gives me and, and, and try to make a good shot. But, uh, you know, I definitely think you've got to be versatile and, and, and read their body language and figure out what they're responding to. Are you able to like if you're going to compare like using like the remote versus a hand call, are you able to make transitions like is faster with a hand call between two things? Or do you think that it's a horse apiece? That's a Wisconsin saying, by the way, <laughs> that I've adopted over time. <laughs> sure. Uh, but uh, or is it just like, you know, either or you're going to be just as fast as one or the other? It's probably six of one half dozen of the other. I, I think it it just depends on what you're accustomed to and what you've spent the most time doing. Right. And, 
at, at the end of the day, whether it's Kyle hunting or anything else, there's, there's no replacement for time in the field and experience and, and just doing it over and over and over again. And, you know, if it's mouth blown calls, it's, it's knowing where they're at on your lanyard or, you know, or, 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 or what you're going to do, right. You know, just kind of knowing what you're going to do in any given situation, you know, the electronics have certainly made it easy with a, with presets or a, you know, a, a button, you just push a button and, and, you know, and get, you know, your coyote distress or whatever, you know, you've selected playing, but I think it's just a lot of it's personal preference. And, and, uh, at the end of the day, it, it's the amount of hours you put in and the time you spend doing it. Mm-hmm. What about, I mean, cost can be a factor, yep. you know, when it comes to hunting, like gear costs money, right? What would you, in my experience, hand calls cost a lot less than an expensive e-collar. Great way to start off. I mean, if you're just getting into it, like you said, you know, it's way more affordable than a, a couple hundred dollar electronic call and, you know, busting out that kind of change for something you're not sure if you want to stick with. But yeah, it's, I, there's an odd sense of accomplishment too when you call on a coyote with hand calls, I've found it. The first time I did it, my batteries were dead on my remote. So I was kind of sitting there. I walked half a mile into this spot to go calling and now I can't with my electronic collar grabbed a couple of hand calls, called a coyote in. I thought, dang, I'm pretty good at this. But uh, it was like my fourth coyote I've ever killed, I think, at that time. So, uh, <laughs> But it, it's a weird sense of accomplishment using the hand calls for sure. And, yeah, it's a great way to get into it. I agree with that. And I'll be honest, some of the, some of the best days I've ever had have been, you know, with, with hand calls. And, yeah, it, it's inexpensive. Um, there's definitely a sense of pride that comes with learning how to use them. And, and I think there's some advantages that guys overlook too, depending on the kind of terrain you're in, you know, when you're out West and you're calling some more open country, you know, you see guys walk over the hill and they want to walk 50 yards or hundred yards to set up their electronic call. And, and they've got a whole lot of visibility walking around and, um, you know, a hand call allows you to just crawl over the hill and tuck in, you know, to your spot and, and, and start calling. And, you know, there are some advantages of the hand calls as far as, you know, just flexibility and, and ease of use. And, you know, all the years that we used to, to hunt contests when we were really under the gun to, to put up numbers, we'd put the electronic collar in the truck and, you know, it was kind of the run and gun. Let's just see how quick we can go and how much country we can cover and, and, and how many we can kill. And, um, you know, the, the hand calls are, you know, they're great. And, and if, if somebody believes that you're just going to kill more coyotes with electronics than hand calls, there's probably a debate to be had there. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Nope. I love it. I love it. And Bill, you brought up something that I had on my checklist, which, and like I said, I'm, I'm a big proponent of e-callers too, but no batteries, you know? So it's not something that if you do have an e-caller, I think reliability, <laughs> the, yeah. the good thing to do is like what, what you did, or probably all of us do is, you know, you, you do have both that way you don't get caught in a pinch or, you know, something, you know, something goes. Well, anybody that's using an e-caller, you know, and I use an e-caller a lot and nothing against them at all. Um, I'm a big proponent of them as well, but uh, a guy should always have a hand call either around his neck or in his e-collar bag or in his pocket because, you know, when they fail, you know, you, you got to have a, a plan B. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. That's always right. be prepared. Yeah. I think, unfortunately, and I'm the king of having more gear, <laughs> but at the end of this conversation, <laughs> I've just come full circle to where I'm at right now. Yeah, yeah. And the answer is both. I'm not saving any money. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, looking at your lanyard, Mark, I feel kind of naked. I didn't bring my assortment of hand calls to the podcast, <laughs> so I apologize for that. Well, the, when I knew when I knew you were coming on, I was like, I'm gonna have to flex some way. And you got to look it, professional, it, look it, apart. It, yeah. it sure it sure ain't gonna be with the numbers I've been putting up. But I haven't been going. I haven't been going as much as 
as I as I'd like to. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, actually, yeah, it's no fault of the calls or the e caller. It's me. <laughs> yeah. I'm the problem. We've pinpointed it. But uh, no, Dustin, man, I know. I don't think. I kind of ran through my my list of questions, you know, about the the benefits and just the the advantages that hand calls can can afford a hunter. Uh, do you got anything left? Any questions, Bill? A lot of good information here today. I'm always open ears to to you know guys that have called a lot more coyotes than I have, so it, it's always good to learn something. And I learned a lot here today, so I really appreciate you coming on. I uh, appreciate you guys having me. It's always good to catch up with you guys and uh, see what you're up to and. I, I am old and retired and appreciate you guys reaching out to the old guy to jump on and uh, talk coyote hunting. I always enjoy talking coyote hunting. Sure. Well, it's part of our uh, philanthropy here at, Vor- at Vortex, Dustin. So. <laughs> part of your goodwill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no way, man. You're, you're one of the best, and, and uh, we appreciate the info and always appreciate when you come on and truly enjoy chatting. And, uh, yeah, any, any other parting words of wisdom before we jump off here? I just don't want to miss anything. I don't even want to be done. I know there's so, I know there's there's so much to the Dustin Butler. You know, I guess I guess the one thing that I would say, you know, whether it's hand calls or or electronics or anything else, I, I feel like you gotta be maybe a little bit not right in the head to to be a good coyote hunter because I'll tell you what, I don't think there's anything in the world that'll test your persistence more than learning how to call and hunt predators. Um, and for guys just getting rolling, you know, I remember the days and weeks and months and weekends of just grinding and grinding and grinding to try to, to figure out how to do it, how to be consistent at it. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I think persistence and I think that's true with any kind of hunting, but but calling coyotes, especially, you know, if, if you're going to, if you're going to figure it out, you, you, you got to be willing to put in the time and just hang in there and don't give up because eventually it kind of all clicks and comes together. Absolutely. There's, Man, there's some humility in coyote hunting and you know, that's for sure. And that is, that is a very good piece of advice because, uh, contrary to what you might see and, you know, every coyote video that you've ever watched. I mean, those, those are the highlight reels. So like yes. you said, there, there is some in between time and, you know, heck, I think it's called, I think it's more difficult to call a coyote than it is to kill a deer, you know, maybe not a truly big deer, but I mean, just it's, it's not easy. And that's part of the challenge. And I think that's why you grew to love it so much. And, and, and we enjoyed as well as it is truly a challenge. I mean, you're matching wits with something that, uh, they know their terrain and they know their environment and, and, uh, yeah, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty cunning. So, well, awesome, Dustin. Well, thank you so much. And, uh, yeah, you've inspired me to get back out there and, and try it again. I'm, I'm going to be blowing the hand call next time I go out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go home and practice tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Well, thanks everybody for listening. And, uh, yeah, hopefully you found this useful. I know I did. And, uh, Until next time, good luck calling.